there, and welcome to the Craftish Podcast number 28. I'm Vicki Howell. This episode is sponsored by eSigns. eSigns makes it easy. Design and order your signs online with just a few easy clicks 24 hours a day from your computer, or you can just upload your own design. Use their custom clip art and backgrounds, or you can use your own logo and photos. eSigns makes high quality signs with low prices, quick turnaround, and fast shipping. And that goes for banners, yard signs, magnetic signs, and more, whatever you can think of really that can be printed affordably, fast, and easy. They also have the Banner Baron's Goof-Proof Guarantee, which is apparently the best return policy in America. So they're not happy if you're not happy. So that means that when you get your signs, if you immediately inspect them and they're not up to your high expectations, you just call them and they'll make it right. They will even reprint your orders if the mistake was yours and not theirs. So good. So eSigns, where everyone saves on signs. And listeners, you can save even more on signs right now. eSigns is offering 10% off using code CRAFTISH at checkout. Just go to eSigns.com to get started. This week, I talked with my close crafty compadre, Jennifer Perkins. Jennifer is a content contributor for DIY Network, brand ambassador for Treetopia, blogger team member for Tuesday Morning Stores, and an independent designer, crafter, and artist. You may also know her from her years as the force behind the handmade jewelry company, Naughty Secretary Club, or as the host of the TV show, Craft Lab. How I know her though goes, well, really way back. Jen and I were both in the Austin Craft Mafia together. We both co-hosted a TV show called Stylicious and have spent about 15 years talking crafts, business strategy, and more recently, carpool and Girl Scout leader duties. She's a good friend and a great person to have in your creative corner. She also decorates a mean Christmas tree. Let's meet her now. Jennifer Perkins, thank you, my friend, for being on Craftish. Well, thank you for having me. First of all, it's funny to be recording this um, remotely with you since you and I live, you know, a mile and a half away from each other (laughs) and see each other almost every day. But, you know, we got to do what we got to do. I know. I wanted to start. um, It's funny. I was reading um, an interview that I did with you for my book, Craft Corps. um, Gosh, I guess it was in 2008, 2009. And we were talking a little bit um, in it. We were talking a little bit about how when you were little, your dad used to um, pay you to, you know, read the wall street journal or write a report if you really wanted something, or if you, if you were trying to make an argument, he would say, well, you need to write this report or you need to read this article. And your, um, you had said during that, that, um, you know, that your dad was the king of reports and that you were afraid that you're going to do that with, with your kids. And then, and then we joked about, well, only with your kids, it's going to be like, make a collage or explain your point via diorama. Um, (laughs) At that point, you didn't, you weren't a mom and now you have two kids. And I wanted to revisit that topic. I wanted to, um, I wanted to see if you still felt the same, if you still thought that you might use sort of some of those same methods with your own kids. Um, I could, you know, they're still so little that it hasn't really like come up that I've needed to, but I mean, I definitely have, you know, bribed Tallulah with like, not the wall street journal, but with the book, like, well, if you want that Lego set, like if you read this chapter book or, you know, you do this, that, and the other, you know, not it. It's funny. I haven't really had to like push them towards the craft stuff like that stuff they they've gravitated towards naturally it's more like you know you got to read this chapter book you got to do these spelling words you got to do this workbook and then maybe i'll get you that extra lego set so i guess some of it has like started to creep in a little of the a little of the bribery i wonder yeah well i was gonna say i wonder how much of that was the way that you were brought up and how much of it is just good old-fashioned bribery that we all (laughs) that we all use whether we admit it or not Exactly. And I know some people are really against that. Like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do that with my kids about like reading or this, that, and the other. But, you know, I always kind of feel like 
it worked with me as a kid. You know, I, I don't see why it wouldn't work with my own kids. I could even remember as a kid, our public library had programs where it was like, if you read this many books over the summer. Oh my gosh, you'd get like a certificate for like an yeah. ice cream or, you know, at McDonald's or whatever was big in the 80s when we grew up. I, I remember, I honestly, I probably still have those certificates. I was so proud of them. Well, yeah, it's not any different than our kids get now. Like if you get perfect attendance, you get a free ice cream cone at Baskin Robbins or a hamburger at Culver's. You know, it's it's the same thing. I'm just, you know, I'm encouraging extracurricular learning well, via Legos. I, via Legos. I think um, <laughs> the, the way that I see it, I think that the what we're teaching is, is that y- – you work for rewards. Now, when you're an adult, that reward is being able to pay your mortgage exactly, <laughs> or whatever. But if you're going to put, you have to put together that presentation to be paid to at that speaking engagement. And I think that well, at the very base level, that's what we're setting our kids up for now. And I, yeah. And I should say that I don't only do it with the reading. She also knows that she can earn 25 cents per, per pair of socks she puts together. <laughs> So there is a, you know, the, I guess the manual labor version she could also do, but you know, she, like everyone else is just like sock matching. No. So that one doesn't work so well usually, but the option is there. It's good. It's really good. Our sock graveyard is like, I mean, it's gotta be two foot high. (laughs) Oh, ours too. I mean, my kids have worn a matching pair of socks since I don't know when. (laughs) I want to get back to parenthood and, and creativity in a bit, but first let's um, let's go back to sort of the origins of not your creativity because you you like me have been crafting since you were old enough to hold a glue stick in your hands, but more of more of sort of the the genesis of your professional life. Would you tell the story of how something that your now father in law said to you back um, when you were first dating? Um, your now husband, that sort of kind of gave you that extra push that you needed to um, maybe look further than your job as a secretary um, and and jump into the creative realm? Um, yes, my father-in-law is, is quite blunt, as you know, but in like the most, you know, he's blunt and kind of gruff, but he also is that guy that like baked homemade cookies all the time from scratch. So he, you know, without meaning to hurt my feelings or offend me said to me, you know, what is it that you do besides be Chris's girlfriend? And at the time, you know, there w- besides have like a day job, there wasn't anything, you know, that I, I, and it was just this profound realization to me, like, whoa, like I don't ever want anyone to ask me that question again and have me say, I have a job and I'm Chris's girlfriend. You know, I just like suddenly felt like it was just this great, you know, way for me to have some introspection and be like, I need to get some other stuff going on. Like if if other people are maybe perceiving me that way. And from there, that just kind of jump started, you know, lots of things Chris and I embarked on, you know, having the record label together. And then, you know, from there, it kind of catapulted off Naughty Secretary Club, probably at that point, in more of its, you know, music zine phase than how people know it now, which is, you know, as a jewelry website. But yeah, just that kind of, he didn't even mean it that way. I don't even know that he remembers saying it to me, but it really kind of hit home with me, like, whoa. Right. I don't, you know, like that's, that's a deep subject for me to think about, you know, and I just, and from then on, I really didn't, you know, I really did not have 700 million irons in the fire. Like sometimes now people ask me, like if someone were to say, what is it that you do besides be Chris's wife and a mom to Tallulah and Baxter? Like I've run out of fingers and toes to list all the things I'm freelance juggling to answer the question with. Why do you think that that just that sort of offhanded comment had such a big effect on you? You know, I, I really, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just like, you know, it probably went back to my feminist right girl roots back in high school stuff, you know, to where it made me feel like, you know, like maybe that that's all I was, was just being this, you know, being this girlfriend and just worrying about like Chris's interest and what Chris is doing and Chris's bands and, you know, me being supportive of those things. And I had lost sight of what it was that, I, I wanted for myself for what I like to do. You know, I was so concerned with like his needs 
Does that make sense? Because we were in the early stages of our relationship when everybody, you know, when everybody's still like, oh, like, let me just dote on you all the time. Like, how everybody right. And I don't mean that, like, now we've been together almost 20 years, and I'm like, whatever, fend for yourself. I mean, let's but, be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, I really do a little bit. He's gotten used to it. And, you know, and he was totally fine. If anything, Chris was probably like, dude, back off, get your own life, you know? So, and he was always, like, super supportive and, you know, bought my domains and helped me set up the websites. And, you know, he's always been my my wingman in those ventures. So it's not as if he was like, well, why am I not the the star on the top of your Christmas tree anymore? I mean, he still is, but he knows I've got other things going on and he's cool with it. I want a t-shirt that says you're the star on the top of my Christmas tree. <laughs> Please. <laughs> you can make that happen. <laughs> um, you were, so, you know, most people know this story already because you've, you've been doing this for a long time and, and you have a, a huge following, but if you would just sort of briefly go over sort of the start of Naughty Secretary Club, um, and then we'll move on to to what you're doing now. Um, Naughty Secretary Club started more as a music zine because at the time I was literally a secretary and I had nothing to do, so I was naughty and started a website. It was at the very early stages of, you know, blogs and websites and posting boards and those kinds of things. And then from there, I kind of slowly started making jewelry and putting it on the blog. And then along came Bus Magazine and they featured me. And I had so many, I was already having quite a bit of sales and success, but with their feature, it came, it got to the point where I either was going to have to write people and say, no, I can't fill these orders. Or I was going to have to quit my job in order to literally have the time to fill the orders. And at that point I was just like, well, might as well quit my job. Like I can find another one of these kind of little jobs if I want it. And so at that point I quit and I've never had to go back. Naughty Secretary Club just kind of took on a life of its own, you know, and from there came the Austin Craft Mafia and books and TV shows and the blog and, you know, and now it's just kind of, you know, naturally progressed into this freelance general craft career that I have you know, now I, I used to make rings with, you know, the F word in it. And now I decorate Christmas trees. I mean, it's all still creative. It's just kind of, it's just, it's just kind of matured. And, Mommy's you know, grown up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mommy's kind of all grown up now. So how did you transition from writing a music zine to making jewelry though? Um, well, you know, the early jewelry, a lot of it was real music oriented. You know, the jewelry might've had like you know, been made from guitar picks or, you know, I melted vinyl records and made them into bracelets or, you know, pictures of the runaways. So it was kind of this natural crafty, creative progression of things that I loved. You know, it was a lot of it started as real music oriented jewelry and then kind of, you know, eventually it changed into other things. And then it kind of became more focused on my love of, all things vintage and kitschy and came became more reworked vintage. But in the beginning it was really an ode to all things music that I loved. Like my parents have always been real into music. My mother always tells a story that like she snuck out when she was like 15 to come to Dallas and see the Rolling Stones on their first U S concert. So I think it's always kind of been ingrained in me, this love of music. So, you know, the jewelry was kind of music oriented. You you've kind of gotten away from incorporating music in your in your sort of modern day um, incarnation of your of your profession and your creativity. Do you think that that has that that also has to do with getting older, or do you think it just has to do with life space changes, or do you think that it has to do with the fact that Max and Ruby is always on in the background in your house? Seriously, though, the Max and Ruby, I should do a Max and Ruby tree. Well, you know, not too long ago, like last year, I did a tree for uh, Treetopia, and it was on DIY Network that uh, had all, it was decorated with all my old, like, colored vinyl you know, so it's like, it looks like a pretty bubblegum pink tree. But if you were to read closely some of the labels for some of those bands, like some of them were, you know, enough to make a grown man blush or a trucker blush. So, you know, I, I still sometimes work it in, but you know, exactly. Max and Ruby's on. It's not like I have time to like flip the seven inch in between fetching chocolate milk for people. I think some of it's 
you know, just that maybe one day I'll get back into it, but you know, parenthood takes over. It's all, it's kids bops now. Kids bop and Katy Perry in my world. Kids bop is the bane of my existence. I, I would know. Like to I, just stop I, a moment for that. I fully blame your child for that. Is, is what I do. It is my child's <laughs> fault. Um, you know, so back when you first started your website, Naughty Secretary Club, I also I interviewed Kathy Conomario recently as well, and and back during that time, there were, without exaggeration, only about ten craft related websites um, on the internet. Yours was one of them. Two questions. First of all, do you remember? Do you remember what the first website was that you went and looked at when the internet became a thing, or one of the first? You know, um, I definitely remember like like Bus Magazine. I think had a website, and I was on that. Or um, you know, all the posting boards. Like, there, gosh, there was one like Get Crafty, wasn't that one? Like, but this, that, a- that was later. Like, I think like at the beginning, before any of the craft people were there, I remember I just started putting. I think it was Ask Jeeves, you know, like just putting, because people would say, well, you just look things up. And I was like, well, what do you mean you just look things up? And I was super into Tori Amos at the time. And I remember like she was one of the first like people to have a website up and there wasn't, there was, there was not much of an interface to it. It was basically just a picture and then like a list of her tour dates. But I just remember I could never think of like anything to go to. So I just kept going back. And then later, like Ani DeFranco had one and slowly it was like the musicians kind of caught on. Uh, Yeah, I guess that's, I guess that's true. My, uh, my boyfriend in college was much more, um, was internet savvy long. I mean, he had a zine when I was in college, like an online zine for like, you know, Italian horror movies or something. And I can remember him trying to like, tell me about the internet and show it to me on his laptop. And he would pull up all the like old, like Olympia riot girl bands. Like, look, here's bikini kill. Like they have a little fanzine online, you know, like trying to entice me, like, look at this cool thing called the internet. And, you know, and I was just kind of like, I don't understand what this newfangled technology is. So I do remember that, like, Super early on. And, you know, I wish I could remember the name of it. There was a girl who was from Austin, and her name was Nicole, like N-I-K-O-L. And she had a website. Nicole Lore, Disgruntled Housewife. Disgruntled Housewife. Yep. That's it. And, you know, it's funny. She was my first internet order yeah. for jewelry. And that's one of the early, like, websites that I remember visiting and yeah, being like, yeah. She's what actually a knitter and crocheter. Yeah, and now she's got her own sort of like retreat, kind of artist retreat place in a, it's like an old schoolhouse in the middle of, I don't know, maybe Kansas. Um, yeah, I did know that. Now yeah. That she's saying, maybe you told me that. Yeah, and you can go and you can sort of like live there for a while or just take workshops or whatever. Um, yeah, we always laugh about that because I remember being like all really like, kind of like offended as a new mom sometimes can because she was very anti-child you know and I had babies early and and now she's a mom of course that's all changed but I remember it was uh I remember that being one of the first ones um as well um and she's actually she's a really great person and and has done a lot for for women in general um on the interwebs what do you do you remember what what actually like what motivated you to start selling jewelry online to actually like have an online presence at that point uh, well, it, it's a weird, the only reason I had it to start, it was a weird thing is, uh, Tina, Tina Sparkles, uh, who was in the Austin Craft Mafia with us for those that don't know. Anyway, she, um, went to college with a girl named Stephanie, who at the time was the editor in chief of Jane magazine. And Jane featured her, like these, she was making these little, like, I don't even know if you remember when t- Tina was making those, those little like collage things out of old sewing patterns. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it was. Mm-hmm. And they were going to feature her and sell them. And Tina didn't have a website, period. And so Stephanie was kind of like, well, you've got to have a URL for us to put put in there. So Tina was like, well, can I sell these as like a little sub area on your zine? And I was, you know, sure, whatever. So they, Wait, so your zine was online at that point? Yeah. Well, I used to do a print zine, but that print zine was called Scratch and Sniff. And then my first online zine was actually called like Pink 78704 because that was my zip code. And then I called it uh, Naughty Secretary Club. And so, yeah, it was online and it was all just like. 
Were you just building it in like Dreamweaver or whatever? Exactly like that. And it was like, like, I think the first version was like GeoCities even. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. You know, so it was like, you know, it had the band interviews and stuff like that, but it did have some like crafts and um, recipes and stuff. Yeah. So then Tina said, well, can I use your URL? And so I had like a little sub page or I don't even remember how we took payment back then. I'm sure there were some like, you had to have credit card, com- uh, you had to have a credit card account with a bank. Yeah. Or people must- put mail in checks. Yeah. It was something like you probably archaic. had a PO box and people could mail in checks. That's what it was. Yeah. And that's, that's the only reason it got started. And I think that was kind of my first taste of like online sales, you know? And then once that started, then I think I was like, Oh, well, if I'm already selling her stuff, why don't I sell my stuff? And then, like I said, I think I was just taking custom orders and Nicole Lore contacted me and said, can you make one of those resin bracelets with Swedish fish in it? I remember she wanted it with Swedish fish and I had to go to like whole foods and I was like, what in the hell are Swedish fish? Like I didn't know at the time. So that's how it all got started with me selling online. I feel like we'll have a sidebar not recorded later where we talk about how you didn't know about Swedish fish, but we'll move on. <laughs> but we'll move on now. I want to get, so just a little background for people who may not be familiar with two things. Well, familiar with um, Austin Craft Mafia. Austin Craft Mafia was a group that was started by, it was really, it was the brainchild of yourself uh, Jenny Hart, who's Sublime Stitching founder, Tina Sparkles, who um, at the time was Tina Lockwood, and she had her own sort of sewing business. And then there were nine other of us, and then later eight other of us when one woman left, who sort of like dove on and we all sort of founded it together after after you guys came up with it. And we were all had different sort of levels of success as creative professionals. Some of us were truly just doing it as a small side project. Um, like myself at the time, I just had a small business with my sister-in-law. And then some people, you know, had already been featured in ma- major magazines, um, you know, like, like the three of you. And we sort of, you know, this was before there were online collaborations, really, there weren't there weren't hubs for groups really. So it was really using that mentality, that zine mentality or the new rock band, you know, new band mentality of, you know, grassroots marketing. And we just figured Mm -hmm. we were stronger together. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. We power numbers. Exactly. So we would swap stickers and every order we would, you know, put each other's swag in it. Um, We later started a small website and we would, you know, I still to this day, and this has got to be 14 years later, because I don't know how to turn it off because I wasn't the one that started. I still get notices that it's time to um, rotate the logos (laughs) (laughs) and, and um, ask for new, cause I used to write the newsletter and write the, like ask for newsletter stuff. It's so funny, (laughs) but we did that for years until we disbanded. Gosh, maybe, I don't know. It's probably been seven, eight years ago now since several of us have moved on and there's only a small handful of us that still work professionally in the craft world. Um, But I don't know if I've ever asked you, what made you decide what, you know, since I was, I was a part of founding it, but I was definitely, I cannot take credit for being, you know, one of the, one of the um, brain children of it. What, what made you guys decide that uh, a female collective would be, would be, you know, in order and helpful at this point? You know, I'm just not, I'm totally not even sure. I think it was just like the three of us were, you know, getting together already, you know, to just discuss business every now and then just meeting for coffee. And we were all just kind of finding our, our crafty sea legs together at the same time. And then I think from there, we just kind of decided to, to put a name to it. I know there is a, um, there's a book called See You Next Tuesday. I won't say the name out loud. Mm-hmm. But anyway, they referenced us in the book and she called us like uh, they're kind of the three of us like they're kind of like an Austin uh, like I don't know if she called us the Austin Craft Mafia, but she called us some variation on that. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I think we were just like, I like the sound of that. Like, let's go. And then, you know, pretty quickly after that is when you guys all came in to the picture and, you know, we were, and I think you'd started, you know, you had your thing in LA, which was already like a, you know, yeah, well, and you had the stitch and bitch stuff. So you kind of, you know, already kind of knew about this, like a collective group of people that are together with like-minded things. So it just kind of all like fell into place once all the like magic pieces were 
conjoined, you know, it all kind of came together. Yeah. And I actually found out about both you and Tina through that Jane magazine article. Um, Cause I, of course, like every self-respecting 20 something year old woman had a, had a, a subscription, subscription to Jane. Anything vaguely related to sassy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did you ever, did you, one time I got to interview Ron Jeremy in there. It was very exciting. <laughs> I did not see that. No, <laughs> I actually just saw, um, Tina had like a, she had one of her collages and a painting and I actually copied one and like, it, I was just crafty. That was when I very first was a mom. Um, and, uh, Anyway, I reached out to you because my then then in-laws lived in Austin and, and I was in California and I didn't know anybody crafty. And I had left my my, you know, job in the entertainment industry and I just needed something, something to make me not feel like I was only talking to a toddler at all times. You know, I just needed something to just prove to myself that I was still like a thinking adult. And so I, you know, I started I actually started Mamarama before I started knitting, so before Stitch and Bitch. And and I found I, I basically stalked you guys, to be honest with you. I was flying out. Um, I was flying out for a visit to, to the in-laws. And I remember reaching out to maybe Jenny Hart. And and I had already reached out to you guys, but I, I and I said, Hey, would you be willing to meet for a drink? And um and that was the first time that and I flew out and we all, you know, she brought you and Tina and we all sat down and um, Is that when we were at that little tiki bar? Yeah. That yeah, was, it was. eleven tiki bar. Yeah, yeah, and I remember I was still nursing Tristan, who's now, gosh, about to be fifteen. Um, and so <laughs> I could only, us. like, I only could, like, I remember I could only have, you know, like a drink because I now pumping and dumping isn't a thing. Apparently, I found out that they've there's now a new movement, but at the time it was a big thing. So I remember, like, and you guys were so far away from being even remotely interested. Oh, I know. Being parents. Now that I have kids, I look back at you and I'm just like, oh my gosh. And I was, but, I felt like such the like nerdy mom, but I was like, I just, I needed to reclaim it anyway. So it was really cool, you know. And then I ended up a year later moving moving to Austin, and so um, things changed. But but what was so great about that period in time was that there were so few of us on the internet that mm-hmm. we could be really strong together. We could be really, it was really easy to, to do something new and exciting because so much hadn't been done. I mean, there was, there wasn't an Etsy. So if you wanted to sell something, you had to take a picture with your digital camera. You had to go get that, that film, or I guess, was it even digital? I, I don't even know that it was. I mean, no. I remember literally putting pieces of jewelry onto a scanner bed. You know what I mean? With like a white sheet of paper behind it to like get it onto the internet. I remember, all I remember is having to pick up hard copies of photos and then scanning them in. And then because everybody was on dial up, you had to upload them in pieces. Like it had to be done in slices. Oh yeah. I mean, it was really arduous. It was the process. It was, it was a life commitment to just put up a new product. Like there was no, there was no like I'm going to take a picture with my phone and upload it immediately, and here you go. Here's a PayPal link, and now yeah. buy it within like ten minutes. You had to have a Wells Fargo account, which was like a good couple hundred dollars um, to have a little machine. You had to have a PO. It was just really, it was a process. Um, it is. It's interesting how much. I mean, I, I feel like when I tell people that, like, the boundaries to entry for these things are so much lower than they used to be. And I feel like I look at it and I feel like remember like how your parents used to be like. Back in my day, I walked to school uphill yeah. both ways in the snow and da 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 da. But like, seriously, if you wanted pre Etsy, it's like if you wanted to have an online business, like it was not an easy task. It was like inventing the wheel in some ways, you know. But I actually feel really grateful to have been a part of that because I don't know if I would have. I would be able to have a, the career that I have now if I were starting now. I mean, there's so many amazing people that are available, like, at the click of a mouse now. Oh, yeah. Because there wasn't I, Pinterest, and there wasn't there weren't blogs, and there wasn't Instagram. There wasn't, you know, now it's like all you have to do is type in even the beginning of one word of something that you're looking for as an editor, and you see all of these amazingly talented people. We were sort of you know, there were just a few of us then. So, you know, I got nitty gritty because somebody Googled young hip knitter and hip happened to be in the, and probably young, who knows, you know, that was back when we were reclaiming Uh the craft was just a tagline. Like, 
So I came up in Google, you know, or it wasn't even yeah. Google probably then, whatever the search engine was. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I just feel like we got such a, and I guess if you get in on the ground floor of anything, you have a leg up, but I feel so grateful. No, me too. I mean, we just happened to hit it at like just the exact right time, you know? And the other thing too that I think, um, and I don't mean this in a like, let's toot our own horns way. But another thing too, and I say this to people all the time, and you've heard me say it a million times is, you know, I think it's like a lot of times it's, you know, 40% what you do and 60% how you spin it. The other thing that helped us as the Austin Craft Mafia is a lot of us were also very savvy marketers and knew how to like get exposure and get the word out there. And in a, you know, it was easier because we weren't in this sea of DIY people, but we all were pretty savvy at, you know, how to like get our stuff on the radar of the right people and get, you know, the press and the things like that. So, which now with Pinterest, with Instagram, you know, all that is, is a hashtag back then it was like, you know, writing a formal letter, having a lookbook printed, sending jewelry samples to people, you know, writing PR pitches, those kinds of things all the time. Like it just, it was just a different animal back then. Yeah. Conversely, you know, there's challenges to being at the level that we are in our career now, but starting at the starting at a time where where blogs weren't a thing or where YouTube channels weren't a thing. So maybe we can talk mm-hmm. a little bit about how, from your perspective, um, just the creative, being a creative professional has changed over the past, let's say, decade, um, really because of social media. And, mm-hmm. and I'll give you an example of what I mean. Um, and you and I have talked about this before, that, you know, when we started, we were not started. Well, when I started, um, my my big break was a TV show. You you had a strong business before that. But um, I was really busy doing television. And that was where where the street cred was. Like you having a television show was like, that's that's the level that you should be at. So I wasn't necessarily like one of the first to jump on the YouTube channel thing because it to, to mm-hmm. me, because I had a television show. But all of the people then that didn't have television shows and they're like, oh, I'm just going to do these little videos and whatever. In a lot of ways now, they're the ones with the leg up because they established at that ground floor what is mm-hmm. now, I mean, I don't know about like, well, you have kids too, but it, it's really more my teenagers. They watch half the programming they watch is on YouTube. Like mm-hmm. it's not on television. Now that doesn't mean it's not TV programming, but they're still watching it on YouTube. So it's a really interesting adjust an adjustment, um, which I'm assuming in every industry is a thing whenever the technology progresses. Um, but talk a little bit about how, how different it is now for you than it might have been at the beginning before social media was a thing. Man, you just blew my mind with that little thing. I, uh, <laughs> I'm like, where do I start? Wow, that was deep. Anyway, uh, no, I agree. Like, it's just, it's so different than it was now. And you're you're totally right. It's like, you know, with the TV shows, it was just like, well, why do I need a YouTube channel? I've already got you know, the TV show and those people, you know, that did start it early, you know, have had, do have definitely a leg up. I think too, like, you know, since I kind of basically, um, I wouldn't say quit everything, but I just kind of like really didn't hit it. Like I had been when I had kids, you know, like when I, before I had kids, like my main refer to my website was MySpace, which is really going to date me. And yes, I had a Friendster account. Um, and then, you know, I had kids and I was really just, I think I was just overwhelmed and I was just, man, I can't like do this business thing and have small children. And, you know, after the kids got a little older, I really slowly started dipping my toe back in, but not as, not as the boss as I had been before, you know, when I did Naughty Secretary Club, I was the boss, like it was my business and I ran it that way. You know, I started dipping my toe back in via working for other companies as more of a freelance person and letting them kind of, you know, tell me what it was to do. And that's when I kind of first started getting my taste of, you know, well, maybe you could do some, you know, YouTube videos along with this. And, you know, and as that's progressed, it's kind of been like, 
you know, well, this, this company wants to have things on Snapchat and this company wants to have things on Facebook live and this company, you know, and the YouTube and, you know, all of those things. So it definitely, you know, has changed and become a lot more, what's the word I'm looking for? Like visual and video content. And I don't know, maybe it's just cause I'm from a different, like time frame like I still like I mean if it's some things I will watch a YouTube video for for instruction but I'm still that person that prefers to to read it you know like I'm gonna read a recipe before I'm gonna watch someone make it does that make sense yeah, no like, I feel the same way about a lot of tutorials I would much rather have the like photographs of them yeah than I would to watch it because then I feel like I'm pausing it and I don't know if that's a generational thing you know to where maybe yeah. You know, kids in their 20s, like, it's just they comprehend it better watching, like, a video of it than they do. But, like, for me, I'm not – like, even when I did TV, like, it, you know what I mean? Like, for me in, in my TV show, it was just like, I guess some people get it this way. But for me, I'd still rather have a book or a magazine or, you know, like, the hard instructions. So it's like it has changed socially. But I think even the way people, like, take in the creative information has changed. And for mm-hmm. me, that's been a little tricky because that's not the way I personally take in information yeah. to learn a new skill. So it's been a bit a bit of a transition. The that other way. thing that I think that, that that is really different now, too, is that just from a professional perspective, that we used to be able to sort of sell ourselves as, you know, either a company or brand or whatever to companies that we wanted to work with by just this general sort of feeling of community that we could, that we could engage, that they, you know, they'd heard the word on the street was that we were popular with, you know, this group or this group. And now because of social media, that general, like, I'm going to sign you on for this, like, you know, huge, you know, ambassadorship or spoke, well, they weren't even called that then, spokesperson gig, you know, where you get this monthly retainer, just based on the fact that we know that people really like you is not really a thing as much anymore, because they want to say, like, how many followers, how many views, Mm -hmm. how many listens, there's, there's a, there's a certain amount of hard data that's expected. But it's not, there's still no real way to understand whether or not this quote, unquote, hard data is accurate. No, I agree because there's, there's numbers, but then there is, you know, well, how much interaction are you getting from that number? It's like, you know, you might, how, what's your engagement? Like somebody could have like a bazillion followers on something, but like, are, do they, but what about the engagement? Like, are they like engaging with those people and like their followers are like really, you know, listening to them and they're really interacting with them and they're able to you know, or their listeners or followers or whatever are really persuaded by them. I think that's the difference, you know? I mean, somebody could have like a bazillion, like just because Martha Stewart has a bazillion people that follow her, that doesn't mean that she really has that much sway. Does that make sense? Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. She's doing a show with Snoop Dogg. I think she's, she, I think she's she, swaying. It's, it's true. I, did, <laughs> I have to say, I was not that in love with the show. You know, I'll, give it a, I'll give it a few more episodes, Martha. Snoop, I liked her. I have to, I have to check that out. Yeah, she was um, a little draw. I think, um, I think engagement, like now they they can sort of track that, but it's not even, it's even a step further. It's the actual, it's the people that come up to you at a conference and just say, this such and such story really had an effect on me or I tried this product because I heard you talking about it and it finally made sense. There's no way to track that. But that is the sort of like old school, like ground floor level of loyalty that you mm-hmm. that you can't track, but is no, that's arguably equally important. So the challenge for me as a business person has been and, and as someone that sells herself as a brand has been to try and um, present that to companies as an equally viable outcome. No, I see what you mean. No, but I mean, you've got both. You're the full package. You've got big numbers and you've got, I mean, Lord, I've been at conferences with you where people are asking me to take your pictures, you know, <laughs> I, <laughs> they're like, Hey, can you hold the camera? So I it's mean, you hard, know, you- though, because there's our, I mean, there's definitely people who, you know, going back to our point before that, you know, started their YouTube channels way before when we were doing TV shows, and they might have, you know, 1 million Facebook followers to my 100,000 or whatever, because they started so much earlier. And even though 
the quality might be different of the programming or one might be Walmart level and one might be boutique level. I'm not saying I'm one or the other. I'm just, you know, using as a comparing mm-hmm. and contrasting. It's still because we're at this place in marketing where even the marketers don't necessarily know what's valuable to measure, they're going to go for the bigger number. Um, yeah. And so it's, a, you know, there's still a lot of, you know, jazz handing around like, <laughs> no, but this has value because of this. It's just, it's a really interesting time. Um to be oh business. yeah. And you know, and if you're, if, and I don't know if you are or not, but if you're in any of those, um, like sits, like the sits girls or sw- massive sway, I think is one, you know, all those, like those little blogger things that you can be a part of. And then like, let's say like land of lakes or, or singer sewing machines or whoever goes to those companies and says, we want to work with these bloggers. Here are the things we're looking for. Are like, they like hives? Is that what you mean? Yeah, I guess they're hives. You know, they'll send out the newsletters to the people that are in their hives. And it's like, they'll all say like, the, you know, you have to have 15,000 people on Instagram. You have to have at least 10,000 on Twitter. You know, they're all like, really, in, in order to even qualify, you know, for, to so like before you even apply for any, um, you know, opportunity that they have, they'll have like each company has already come to them and said, this is our base level of what numbers these people have to have, which I always find interesting. You know, a lot of times I'll open it up and I'll be like, delete, delete. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause yeah. I'm just like, that's not me. So, which is sh- so short, short sighted because you, for years, not only have you had multiple television shows, but you have been a contributing designer for DIY network for years. And that outreach is way larger than maybe your personal numbers are because we've been spending time pushing other people's brands. So our number, our numbers are actually part of that number. Well, exactly. And that's, and that's a good point. And I have a hard time explaining that to people because it's like, you know, like I, I said earlier, after I had kids, I started, you know, my first gig back was I was a weekly contributor for I Love to Create. And then from there, I became the DIY editor for the Blogger Network for several years. And then after that, I was like, you know, a magazine editor. So a lot of the content that I create, you know, and then I started working for DIY Network and HGTV doing online stuff. So like you said, it's like, it's not that I haven't been like working and creating, you know, what I consider great content. I just, I guess... for lack of a better term, I sold it to other companies. Like it's other places besides my own blog. So no, my, my blog numbers might not be big because I didn't post that content on my blog. Because you were spending the time driving the content to DIY Network or blog her or Tuesday morning or whomever you were blogging Yeah, Tuesday morning or Dumb Dumb Suckers or, you know, exactly all those places. So it's like, I've been, I've been busy. I've been working, but it's like, you know, for other people. Right. And, and you can't really quantify that in the same way. Exactly. You mentioned earlier that you sort of lost your, your business mojo um, after you had your first baby for a while. Um, and I, you know, as, as your longtime friend, definitely saw a shift in um, just in mind frame of you really just, you didn't, it wasn't even really necessarily about you losing the business mojo. It just seemed like you were no longer interested in, in jewelry at a point. Um, do you, what about becoming a mom do you think caused such a sort of large shift at that time? You know, I don't know. I think it was really just a myriad of things at the time. I think I had just been like, you know, I, th- I think there was that just that initial shock of like having a kid and you're like, holy whatever like this is hard you know what I mean and you're just like (laughs) you know you're just like whoa like this is not what I thought it was gonna be so I think there was just that you know and and Tallulah was like a baby when my website broke and I was just at that point I was just like I don't even care like I just cannot fix it like that was sort of a key key component to you sort of stopping the naughty secretary club portion of your business was that your your website did break down Yeah, it broke. And literally like the people that I had paid thousands of dollars to like design it and make it, you know, take credit cards. And, you know, this is when Etsy was in its infancy. Uh, You know, those people were like, well, I don't really know how to help you fix it. And I just didn't have the will or the energy to to even care. I was just like, whatever. Yeah. Um, And then I don't know, you know, there's always that mom guilt that comes in like, 
I need to just like full time focus on doing nothing but making every day like miraculously special for my kids. Yeah. You know, you go you go through that a little bit with the first one. You know, by the second one, you're like, whatever, you can eat it. It was only on the floor for a minute. Yeah. You know, so there was some of that. But I think too, really underneath it all, I think I was just tired of making jewelry. I think I was just, I think I was just, you know, just tired of having to do the same thing. And that's all I all I did was make jewelry. And it's not like I ever thought that jewelry was my life calling. I liked making jewelry. It just kind of happened to be what I make a, made a living at. And mm-hmm. I don't mean to sound ungrateful for that time in my life. I mean, that was a great time in my life. But, you know, you hear about people with office jobs and it's like, you know, they feel trapped in that office job. Like, well, you got that job right out of college and it's just what started. It's just what you made money at. And then you had kids and you couldn't quit and da, 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 da. It was kind of one of those things. It was like, well, that's what paid the bills. So how was I going to just slowly back away from that? And then when I had kids, I kind of had that opportunity to take a step back and reevaluate and go, do I really want to get back into making jewelry? Is that really what I want to do? And I slowly started doing the freelance craft gig And it kind of made me realize like, you know, I'm truly actually happier like one day, you know, sewing appliques on something and another day decorating a Christmas tree and another day doing embroidery. You know, it just gelled more for me. And then sometimes making jewelry, but not just having to make jewelry. Yeah. Like it just made me happier to be able to bounce around to different mediums than it did just being really pigeonholed into like you make jewelry, 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 all the time jewelry. Well, but also you started, uh, you know, as we all do as parents, getting more interested in kids' crafts because you were trying to yeah. keep kids busy. And and you did end up sort of parlaying that into a pretty a pretty big gig. You were the editor of a magazine called Kids Crafts One Two Three while it existed, um, and that and that was definitely sort of that opened up a new creative door. And I think was a really great illustration of how if you just sort of like open yourself up and kind of follow what you're interested in at, at that same time, if you're if you're willing and open to it, something will come up. No, and and you know, and truly that's how like most of my career has has gone, you know, it's been like you know, I'm doing kids crafts because I've got kids. Well, then that kind of came along and it was, you know, the same way with what I do now. A lot of holiday content and Christmas tree decorating. It was the same thing. It was just kind of what I was into and, you know, just kind of open yourself up to the universe. And, you know, the Christmas tree company comes calling, asking you to be the brand ambassador. It's just kind of, you know, call it, call it luck, call it what you will. But, you know, that's just kind of the way things have naturally progressed for me. So you're now the brand ambassador, ambassador for Treetopia mm-hmm. and you are perpetually decorating trees. Um, all I'm, kinds I'm of trees. Sitting, I'm sitting here staring at one in all its glory as we speak. They really are glorious. Um, <laughs> and that, but that's a, that's a huge departure from, you know, a jewelry business. And now you're, I mean, you're a professional tree designer. I mean, that's, that's a big part of what you do now. How at, were you, I don't even think I remember this. Were you, had you posted a photo of a picture that you, of a tree you decorated? How does, how does a company find you in a genre that was not at all your specialty before? Um, well, you know, like I come from a long line of holiday decorators. You know, my mom always like was that overkill Christmas tree person too. So, and we had multiple trees up at, the, at our house. I mean, hers were much more traditional. So, you know, I've always had Christmas trees, but once I had kids, I think I really got like way more into it. And then I started doing the Halloween party and started doing Halloween trees. And I, you know, was posting about it on my blog. By this point, I think it was already called jenniferperkins.com. And I randomly, like a couple years ago, jokingly did a post and said, you know, about spooky trees, about Halloween trees and said, you know, I've got a couple of little Halloween trees. And I, you know, said, you know, Tree Toby, if you ever want to send me one of those candy corn Christmas trees, like I'd gladly take it. Well, and I linked to them. Well, lucky for me, they have a very savvy SEO, you know, social media team that immediately contacted me and was like, we'd love to send you a candy corn tree. And, you know, who am I to say no to for Christmas trees? And so little did you know, you'd be getting a new tree. Oh my gosh. Like seriously, there's like boxes of Christmas trees all over my house right now. It's so funny. If you go to her house, um, it's just like, there's a knock on the door and there's almost just like a, oh, where are we going to put it? (laughs) 
I know. Where are we going to put this Christmas? Like literally the kids come home and are just like another tree. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, be careful what you wish for. Anywho. Uh, so they contacted me and I got the tree and I used it and they were, you know, happy with what I had done. And then they came back to me and said, you know, would you like to be our brand ambassador? Because they, you know, they kind of specialize in kitschy, colorful trees. And so I was like, heck yeah, I want to be your brand ambassador. So, you know, the rest is history. Trees, trees everywhere, trees. Yeah. And I secretly love it, you know? So. Oh, and, it, you know, you're, you're so... God, I feel like, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say I feel like it's your calling because you've got so many like different talents, but it's just one of those things where you constantly create something completely different on a tree that's miraculous and amazing. And it's just one of those things where it's just like, who knew, who knew you had a gift with the tree? No one one is more surprised about the secret talent than I am. I always tell like, you know, my husband and people, it's just like, what is like your life calling is to be like, you know, on a whaling ship and like, you just don't know it or, you know what I mean? Or what are those things are like, what if you were supposed to like be a sheep herder in your life and you just don't know? It's like that same kind of thing. Like I had no idea that decorating for holidays and Christmas tree fluffing would bring me so much inner joy that I really enjoyed it. And like, you know, and they look good when I'm done. It's just like, who knew? Like if you had told me that when I was like, you know, 15 and shaking a fist in the air and cutting and pasting like a punk rock zine that I was going to be decorating Christmas trees at one point in my life, I would have just like laughed you out of the room. But, but, in, but in the same way, I think it's really punk rock that you figured out how to make a living doing kind of whatever you want. Like, I mean, it's a lot of pieces. It's a lot of hustling. It's not easy. But the fact that you can make some of your living by like putting a bunch of, you know, vinyl records and like vintage pinup girls on a tree, like is kind of punk rock. Oh, no, for sure. And, you know, I mean, I think your 15 year old self would be fine. I think (laughs) think so too. And and there's still, I mean, the thing that's been awesome about Treetopia is they've been like, they really don't give me any direction. You know, they've always just been happy with whatever my tree looks like. It's not like they say like, we need this one to be, I don't feel stifled. Like I wouldn't like the gig if it was like, and I don't like decorating trees for other people because sometimes they want it a certain way. And I don't do well when I am put in those kind of parameters. It's more like you do you. You really are the best at doing you. Like you really are. I don't do well, like working for people that have very, you know, they wanted a certain way or they wanted a certain color way. It's like, I am not your go-to girl for that. Like you gotta, you gotta understand that. Like, I don't know what's going to, what it's going to look like at the end. You just got to be cool with it. Yeah. (laughs) Which is, I mean, really a true sort of like artist spirit. I always, I I always notice that when I compare our two personalities, because you and I, you know, are very different the way our brains work. I tend to be way more type A and you tend to be more free flowing. And I wonder if, you know, I've seen, especially lately, you've been sort of really exploring kind of the artist side of yourself. Um, In a way, when I first met you, you were so focused, like you were so focused on being an entrepreneur and you had read every marketing book and you had data to back up things. And in a way, in a way that just, I think is just, you seem to be exploring different things now. Like uh, I've I've Transitioning. Yeah. Transitioning. That's a good word. And we spoke a little bit you know, we, we go on these sort of like epic walks, um, and we treat them both because we both need exercise, but they're also sort of secretly kind of our therapy. And also, (laughs) also, you know, when you work at home, you don't have a lot of coworkers. So we were kind of each other's coworkers in a lot of way. And during one of these long conversations, you talked a little bit about sort of being raised to be an entrepreneur and your sister being raised to be an artist. Um, and how now where you are in your life space and career now, you're starting to wonder if maybe, maybe those definitions need to be rewritten a little bit in your life. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it was just, I mean, and I'm so thankful for it. It's like our dad used to always tell us about like, if you're an entrepreneur and you could run your own business and, you know, you can sit on the beach and type and, you know, do whatever you want and blah, 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 blah. And I still like being an entrepreneur, but I think like I always felt like I had to like 
I had to run the business and I couldn't, you know, do freelance for other people, you know, and things because like, hey, another big saying he used to always say, it was like, when you work for other people, you're just putting money in their pocket, yeah. you know? So I used to feel like working for anybody else was like, you know, working for the man in any capacity was like a bad thing. And he's not an entrepreneur. He's a, a psychologist, which I guess is some side <laughs> hustle, but you know, he's also a, a, a teacher, but you know, and, and I mean, they were great life lessons, but I think um, and then my sister, on the other hand, was always kind of more encouraged to be an artist. And I think both of those things were just because as kids, we both just kind of naturally gravitated towards, you know, I wanted to sell stuff at the family garage sale and she wanted to take art lessons, Yeah, you know, so that's just kind of, you know, we all do that with our own kids. Like we see kind of what they're gravitating towards and we kind of encourage it, you know, and I think now that I'm a little bit older, I'm not. I'm less interested in like, you know, a global empire as to where back then it was just like, yes, I'm in the wall street journal. Like, yes. I'm in fortune, small business. And like you said, constantly reading like every marketing book, every, you know, business book, you know, subscription to ink magazine, you know, all those kinds of things. I think now I'm more. You're reading I, a I, lot more sort of like, uh, self-empowerment type of books now. Yeah, exactly. Which like is something, much, by the way, your old self would have never been open to. Oh gosh, no. Heck no. I mean, you're totally right. Like I was much more of like in my twenties and thirties, much more of like a cynic and a skeptic for those kinds of things. I feel like I've gotten a lot more like mellow, relaxed, like just okay with like what the future, okay with what the future holds and like whatever happens, happens as to where before it was like, you know, there's going to be a plan and it's going to go like this. And you know what I mean? And like, and I know because I read a book about it right. and that, you know, or whatever. And, and that I've, since I've gotten older, I've just like, I don't know, just kind of chilled out on like a lot of things and I'm more, more open to those kind of things. And I think that being said, it's not, you know, like as where if you make jewelry, it's like, well, I'm going to string my beads and I know exactly how it's going to look. And, you know, and I've got this vintage piece. I mean, yes, of course, there's some organic creative portions to that, but I knew what the end product was going to be more. I think now I've kind of started with this new life change as it is, started painting and doing more, you know, it kind of started with mixed media stuff. And then now it's kind of more, it's a little more formal painting, I guess, but, you know, not caring how it's going to look at the end or not being so concerned with this is how it's going to be, or I have to sell this. I mean, sure. I have an Etsy store, but, you know, doing more like creative stuff, like just for me, you know, and just to paint because I like to paint and it doesn't have to be a business and everything I, I make doesn't have to sell. I can just paint it because I like it and put it away in a drawer and you know what I mean? And doing it more for the therapeutic sense of doing it than for the the business side of it. Does that make sense? Do you consider one of those things craft and one of those art? Or is it all the same for you? I think it's different. I will say this. As someone who has started to sell their art, you know, like I'm in, you know, East this weekend, which is a big uh, two weekend long art show here in Austin. And, you know, of course, I have an Etsy store and I've started an Instagram account separately for my art. I think it's different. I found it a lot harder and a lot more personal to promote than I do like craft. I don't know why, like the craft stuff or the tree stuff, like I can separate from myself and like, here is this thing that here's a Christmas tree that I decorated. Like it's easier for me to promote than something I painted somehow feels more personal. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. I, I would, I didn't think I would ever feel that way about it, but it does feel more personal and weird for some reason. I don't. I, I mean, do you think that maybe because you haven't settled into the sort of like re, re the redefinition of yourself or, or, or just even, you know, I, 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 I've interviewed other people that ha that felt weird about being called an artist until they actually went to art school or uh, is it because of what we were talking about? Maybe that you had sort of, you know, grown into this other role and it feels a little vulnerable to embrace I think, the other. I think that's exactly it. I think vulnerable is the, like the perfect word for it. I think it's that. And like, you know, we were joking about how I always read business books. Well, of course, now that I, you know, ha have decided that I'm also an artist, like I've course i've been reading books about how to be an artist like and one of those books i was reading was um lisa congdon's uh art inc am i saying her name right uh -huh. lisa yeah anyway 
uh, her book, Art Inc., which is really an awesome book. And, you know, she talks about in there that, you know, artists feel like, you know, there's always been that artist mentality of like, oh, you know, I'm an artist and, you know, I don't promote myself. You know, I also read like Jen Sincero's like, you are a badass. And she touches a little bit on this. Like, if you're an artist, like you're not supposed to promote yourself. You're supposed to be like, you know, living out of a dumpster until you're discovered. It's not like when you're a crafter, you have this product where, you know, that's what you do. Like I made this thing. I have this company. I promote it. I send out Mm -hmm. press releases for it. And that's how it gets in magazines. Like with art, it seems like it's this totally different way. Like, oh my God, you can't even use like a hashtag for it or you're a sellout. You know what I mean? It feels like it's this whole different set of rules whether that be self-imposed on by myself or by like the industry because I have lots of friends that are you know are artists and that's what they do like it feels like this different set of rules on how you're supposed to promote it or supposed to paint like you're supposed to be tortured if you're an artist you know what I mean and it feels wrong if you're anything but and it's like but I'm a happy artist like I can't help it like you know what I mean like hashtag happy artist I know, like, I'm sorry, like, I'm just not tortured, like, I, I'm an artist, but I also like... Oh, you you spend plenty of time being tortured. You've got I your do. own special, special brand of torture. Yeah, God, no, We've I all do. got it. We've got it. Do you, so all of these things that you've done and will continue to do from being a TV host to being a craft designer to being a jewelry designer, or entrepreneur, a magazine editor, or a, you know, Christmas tree designer, it was there ever a time an author... Was there ever a specific time that you just felt like I am at the top of my creative game or does it, does just even that feeling or what, what, what that would feel like constantly change for you as your career evolves and ebbs and flows? Um, you know, I felt like pretty good about everything when I, you know, when Naughty Secretary Club was, you know, really big and was financially making me, you know, doing just as well as me being on TV, you know? So Mm -hmm. that was a time when I felt really good, but even like personally, you know, I felt like, well, but you know, I still want to, it's not like I was just like, and I'm done. Like I've conquered, you know, I still like, there was other things I wanted to do, like maybe have product lines through other big companies or be in bigger stores or still have kids. Like, you know, there's always, and I wouldn't put it in terms of there's always things that have been out of my reach or I've always wanted more. There's just, you know, I've always, I've always been happy with what I had or happy with where I am in my career, but there's always been goals or other things I aspire to, you know, that keep me moving forward in whatever direction going like, well, but it would be extra cool if this was happening alongside that. Does that make sense? I mean, like I'm, th- to me, I'm thankful, but to me, that's the, I mean, that's the <laughs> entrepreneurial spirit. At its yeah, that's, that's everybody. Yeah. I mean, there's always like, yeah, but I couldn't do this. You know, if you're not like moving forwards towards a goal, you know what I mean? It's like LeBron just, James isn't like, and I'm done. I am the most awesome basketball player ever. I mean, he's still practicing. He's still like, you know. Wow. I didn't to- see a sports analogy coming in. I know. I don't know. Especially don't from know. you. I'm not, I know, right? I I didn't even sure that I knew that you knew the, who LeBron James was. <laughs> But you know what I mean? Like he's still like, he's still moving forward and keeping on and keeping on. Yeah. So he would get bored if he didn't, you know? So it's kind of yeah. one of those things. So keep on keeping on so you don't get bored. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, and like him, like he's, he's got to do it. He loves to play basketball. I love to be crafty. I love to create. I love to paint. I love to glue crap to crap. So it's just like, I can't not do it. So might as well like, you know, Hashtag try to go, try to go next level. Crap to crap. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you speak in hashtags. I mean, there's no, there's no, there's no chance of you not being great at, at publicizing. You just have to get comfy in your, in your artist shoes. That's true. I'm just not, I'm just not there yet. It's, you're a, getting there, it's a new genre for me. Well, it, it has been a pleasure talking with you as always. And, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to get to sort of walk in your, in your journey or at least next to you in those walking exactly. shoes with you. You're my uh, life coach. So it's been, um, you know, it's just really fun to watch. And I appreciate you talking a little bit about it here with us today. Well, thank you for having me. I've had a good time. For more information on Jennifer and to read some of her musings, check out her website. 
To see photos of her designs and artwork and get links to her various projects, though, you can also go to her episode show notes page at vickihowell.com slash craftish. Thanks again to our sponsor, eSigns. If you have a small business, or maybe you're going to host a booth at the local craft bazaar this season, you are going to need signage. Go to eSigns.com right now to get it made, and remember to use code CRAFTISH at checkout for 10% off of your order. I also want to give a quick shout out to another business that might be of interest, especially to you creative entrepreneurs out there who produce products of any form. Hyper Marketing offers the unique service of pairing up indie business owners or even hobbyists with big name retailers for the opportunity to sell their goods on those larger sites. So let's say that you've had a gadget you invented manufactured, or maybe you've made a slew of hand-dyed merino wool scarves that you'd love a larger audience to have access to. Hyper Marketing can help you get them onto the appropriate online shop, whether it be Home Depot, Neiman Marcus, Wayfair, Overstock.com, I think you get the idea. The best part, it's free of charge to the creator. You as a creator just set a wholesale price and then you ship it out the you ship out that product once it's been purchased. Hyper Marketing handles the rest. That's really super easy and a pretty unique opportunity. So for more information, go to pipermarketing.com and Piper is spelled with a Y, so P-Y-P-E-R marketing.com. Craftish is a Camp Bell production. It's produced in Austin, Texas by me and mixed and edited by Dave Campbell. Music is provided by Explosions in the Sky. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend or rate us on iTunes. We really appreciate it. It makes our whole hearts feel mushy and bishy. Plus, it helps more listeners find us. We're off for the next couple of weeks, but we'll be back with a brand new episode of Craftish with guest Abby Glassenberg of While She Naps and the Craft Industry Alliance. That episode will go live on December 8th. Until then, happy Thanksgiving to our American listeners, and don't forget, breathe in, craft out.